Welcome, everybody, to The Extra Podcast, episode number 296. I'm your host, John Mulder. I'm sitting around the table this morning, or if you're listening in the afternoon, it's good to have you. You're still in the morning, though. Yeah, I'm in the morning. Yeah. And around the table, we have Jeff. Hi. Hi. And Greg is with us as well. Hi. It's also afternoon now, though. Is it? Yeah. I you're right, so. it is. We used to record this in the mornings, but now it's... Afternoon. The time flies, John, when you're having such a good time here at the church, isn't it? Yes, it does. Yeah, yeah good times. So last week we asked for suggestions for my sign-off catchphrase, and we got nothing. So clearly we did not Do offer... You, not, you don't have anything either, John? I you don't know. You weren't willing to offer anything either? The, well, peop- the people are just following your, your example. Well, I gave them nothing, so they gave me nothing. John, I was that's thinking a, that's a pretty good description of your hosting so far, don't you think? Wow. <laughs> wow. It's awful. It's okay. Uh, I got thick skin. Good. I can handle that. Uh, no, we were thinking something along the lines of the truth is out there. Yep. Mm-hmm. X-Files related because of don't Agent they, Mulder. Have they, redone the, have they redone the X-Files now? Yeah, they did like a reboot last year. Did It didn't have Mulder and Scully in it, it did. though. It did. It did. Dude, they must be geriatric. Almost. Really? Yeah, they had like a younger. They were trying to. You know, like, back I guess, in the eighties, when that was it, eighties, nineties, early nineties, late eighties, nineties. That when that first started to be out, the the X Files, that was like uh, such a powerful, philosophically provocative TV show because in this you had one lady who is conceived considered like the modernist. Uh, you know, Scully was the 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 scientist and there's an explanation for everything. And she was adhering to all kind of the enlightenment viewpoints of that came, you know, the triumph of science and ability to develop technology, to manipulate and govern our world. And then you had Mulder who was basically like, not doesn't work because there are ghosts here. (laughs) And, and it was like, he was, he was the embodiment of the postmodern move. Hmm. Right. The doubting of science and its ability to explain everything. And yeah, the, it explains some things, but there's just some stuff that you can't explain. So like my generation, the Gen Xers, mm-hmm. this was a big thing for us because we kind of lived through the, at least in, in North America, the the shifting, the significant shifting into the postmodern age and the doubting, the, the kind of the doubting of the authorities, the doubting of what we've been told. Like we are totally cynical. Just watch our movies. They're awful. <laughs> Seriously. Breakfast Club. Have you watched The Breakfast Club? Mm-hmm. It's nope. terrible. Ugh. <laughs> it's just a bunch of people sitting around talking about the meaning of life. It's a lot of angst. Oh, and after a while, you're just like, I know some millennials who are, are like, man, I just, you guys should go do something fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know? <laughs> Seriously. You're going to sit in this room and talk about your feelings all the time? Because honestly, <laughs> like... You should watch TV or something. Yeah, no, you need to relax. Yeah, whereas I think, I mean, the film of my generation would have to be Frozen. Yeah, let it go. That's right. Let it go. It no? is that's the embodiment. Yeah, no, that's right. It might be a little on the young young side. Yeah. No, seriously, so. you watch the Gen X stuff and it's just, you know, I, it's dark. It's foreboding. Everyone's talking about how they feel all the time. Oh, man. Good so, times. So introspective. Good times. Hey, that's the world that we gave to you guys, and you've now ruined. Yeah. Hey, thanks. But that's okay. And you're welcome. Because we were cynical, we expected you to do it. Well, and it doesn't matter what we do anyways, because you're already cynical, so you're going to be like, oh, yeah. oh it's only worse. <laughs> totally. <laughs> so it doesn't actually matter. <laughs> we are the Eeyore generation. <laughs> <laughs> 
It's true, though. You think about it. The baby boomers who came before us were like, oh, this is great. Everything's got to be awesome. And we're going to cover the world and make it a better place. No way. We hate you. You're terrible. You ruined everything. And then you guys come along and been like, let's go to the mall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what movie's playing? <laughs> Speaking of, okay, here's a movie I watched recently. Have you seen this? The Arrival? Yes. That's a great movie. It is a very good movie. Actually, it's about aliens. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you, any I alien, have I, I've said this before, yeah. alien movies are the best thing there are. But this is the thing I liked about this movie, was uh, that it's one of those movies that as, it's, as, as it goes on, you start like guessing like, oh, I think this is actually what's happening. Mm-hmm. And then when it happens, you're like, oh, I was right. Yeah. And then you feel very justified as totally. a viewer to be like, hmm, halfway I'm through so the film, smart. Halfway through the film, I was telling my wife, I bet you. And then at and the then end, you guessed I, it. Well, and then I stood up in the theater and I said, that's right. I knew it. But if you haven't seen it, it's a very good film. Yes, I'm, I recommend it. I'm tempted mm. to show it or to do a little film and theology thing about it sometime. Yes. I think it's interesting as a... Okay, little little pop cultural uh, history here, though. Yeah, all right. I'll probably fail. A- is I'm it Amy f- Adams? I think that? so, yeah. Is that her name? Okay, Amy Adams. She is. She was a purse saleswoman in what television program? Ooh. What? Come on. What? She was a purse saleswoman. Friends. For a series of episodes in what well-known, somewhat recent... Sitcom it wasn't Friends. No, so not Friends. Nope, nope, nope. I'm, the I'm Office. Oh. oh, yeah, really? Yeah, she is. She was hmm. dated Jim for a little while on The Office. You're right. Wow, good call. It's so crazy Her too big to break? watch that now. I must have been because you watch that now and you're like, oh, you're like Academy Award actress now. Yeah. Right. She didn't really display the acting chops in that part of Purse Saleswoman. I don't think. Is there much acting to do in? Purse selling? No. no. Yeah. It's hard to method act that. No. <laughs> she probably spent you know? she probably spent a lot of time yeah. around the manufacturers of the purses. And totally. Yeah. The animals <laughs> from which the purses were eventually <laughs> Is that too far back? You method act. <laughs> anyway. Well, there's no easy transition from that into what we're gonna talk about next. We're gonna talk about Greg's sermon from this last weekend talking yep. about divorce mm-hmm. out of First Corinthians 7. You were talking about what? Three, there's three distinct categories Paul kind of brings up in this passage about unmarried marriage between Christians and then marriage between Christian and non. Yep. Yeah. I'm going to ask you my question that I asked you earlier, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a very uncommonly like, brought up passage yep. of scripture. Yep. When we talk about divorce. Yeah. If you were to look on most websites, say like, I don't know, Desiring God or uh, even back to the Bible in Canada here, and you search for their teachings on divorce and remarriage, virtually all of them discuss at length Matthew 19, mm. uh, which is the Jesus giving instructions on divorce. He's approached by some Pharisees who want him to weigh into their debate Yep. Their inner pharisaical debate between the two schools of the pharisaism, they want them to weigh in yep. on their debate about what, well, how much, for what reason someone could get divorced. Yeah, probably also as a wanting him to expand what he taught on the Sermon on the Mount, because he addressed it earlier in the mm. book. And so here he is kind of doubling down on what he means by what he's teaching. And in it, he gives the command that you're not allowed to divorce 
or remarry because you'd be committing adultery, except for, on the exception case that there's sexual immorality, the Greek word porneia. So this is the the critical or the key text that a lot of people will look at when they're trying to talk through when and in what situations divorce and remarriage appropriate, permissible. How does the Bible manage it as a as a principle? Matthew seems to indicate that there is a permissible um, reason for divorce, and that is porneia. Right. And that can mean, that's a broad term, that can mean, you know, anything as general sexual immorality. Yeah. Uh, it's used in special circumstances to talk just about adultery. I mean, there's, yeah. you have to decide by the context and... Yeah. And other things in the way the book word is used throughout Matthew to make your decision about that. But yep. anyway, that's the text that most people point to. And hardly anyone brings up First Corinthians seven. And you like it more. Well, I've come like to it, like it more. Meaning that it 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 explains the biblical teaching or the New Testament teaching on divorce yep. in in a more um, summary fashion. Like it, it covers yep. more bases. Yeah. So Paul addresses three groups. He addresses the unmarried. Uh he addresses the married, and by that he means two believers who are married. And in that instruction, he quotes what Jesus taught uh, when he says, not I, but the Lord. And then in verse 12 through verse 16. What's your reason for saying it's the married, that, that it's two believers who are married? Because of the third category, where he brings up to the rest, and then he makes it clear it's between a believer and an unbeliever. And in the context, I think... When Jesus gave his instructions, he would have been addressing at that point where everyone was on the same page in terms of their Jewishness. Mm. And so in this case, Paul's addressing in the rest group in verse 12, the mixture of now that the gospels come to Corinth and some people in Corinth come to believe the gospel and become Christian and their spouses stay pagan. Now they find themselves in a marriage that's that's mixed in terms of its religious devotion and its yep, worldview no. values, Christian all non. kinds of things. So then Paul says, because Jesus didn't really have a context to teach this, I'm going to give you some instructions. Apostolic instructions, though. Right. And so I try to make it a little offhand comment in my sermon that him Paul saying, I, not the Lord, isn't him saying, you don't actually have to listen to me. It, but it's just him clarifying that Jesus didn't teach on this. So I'm going to. Right. Because you need teaching on it. And in that category... Nor, nor would Jesus have had to teach exactly. on it. He wasn't asked a question about it. The right. context of Matthew 19 is him weighing into particular pharisaical debate. Yep. And so Paul is dealing with a different kind of challenge. He's got a right. bunch of people in Corinth who are now married yep. to people who don't believe. And so, probably contextually, he Paul's addressing direct situations that the Corinthian church asked him to address a lot of the yep. language in here, Paul saying now, now the matters of which you wrote at the beginning of chapter seven. So Paul's probably answering questions. It's also likely that some, there were some people who are married yep. who were leaving their spouses. So the people who are married to, so uh, yep. when I say married, the, the, a believer, the, a believer, non-believer marriage were leaving their spouses because earlier in chapter seven, right. you have Christians, two Christians who right. were acting like the angels, so husband and wife, and they were ceasing having sexual relations with each other. And Paul's like, whoa, 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 you're not in heaven yet. Mm. Okay. So I know some people are walking around thinking that you guys are just spiritual and not physical at all, but that's not how it works. Not mm. yet. Mm. So don't, don't, forego sexual relations between uh, uh, mm. husbands and wives, mm -hmm. you know, Christian husbands and wives. Okay. Right. Except for a time of prayer and fasting. 
So now he comes along and he's going to start talking, though, to some of the other issues that have, have arisen. Right. And I know that because further on in 1 Corinthians 7, he's going to start talking a little bit more about, hey, remain as you are. So there are clearly right. people who have come to faith in Jesus and decided, oh, since we're in faith in Jesus, we can live like we're in heaven now. Right. In every way. And heaven for them was a disembodied sort of state. So I don't need to pay attention to the body in any way. Sex is for the body. Don't need to do that. Foods for the body. Don't need to do that. Like it doesn't, none of that stuff matters. So here you probably have in the background some people who are, who are like, well, now they come to faith in Jesus and my husband hasn't. See ya. Right. And a principle for Paul about marriage is a very straightforward, clear principle that Christians do not pursue divorce. It's a repeated theme throughout his teaching on divorce to both the married and to the rest that believers, one of the things that characterizes believers is their willingness to not divorce their spouse. And yet he does make it available for divorce to be permissible in the case that the unbeliever decides to desert the believer. So he's saying, look, as Christians, no one pursues divorce. What do you mean by that? By what? No one pursues divorce. So the language of... They should, do you mean that they should seek reconciliation? And when it's not available, then those other options come? What other options come? Well, the option of divorce. So I'm thinking about, okay, so if marriage... So for example, I'm going to go to Matthew 19. Yep. Uh, except for sexual, except mm-hmm. for sexual, except for sexual immorality. Mm-hmm. So the heart of God is for people to reconcile mm-hmm. with each other mm-hmm. in general, particularly in marriages. That's the heart of God. He wants to see people reconcile. Mm-hmm. But there are circumstances in which that reconciliation cannot happen, namely uh, the s- sexual infidelity of one partner, and that might create a situation where you, where it's just too, it's too difficult. Mm-hmm. Likewise, in this case, uh, the the part the, the the unbelieving spouse who wants to who just doesn't want to be married to a Christian anymore that makes it untenable. So, I'm just trying to parse your words a little bit because I'm a little bit afraid that someone's going to hear that, and so. You're, so in other words, any any Christian who's got divorced is not is in some ways kind of sinning. Well, so one of the things that I mentioned in my sermon is that I think because of Matthew 19 and 1 Corinthians 7, all divorce is caused by sin, but not every divorce is sinful per se. So what I mean by that is it's permissible if the spouse commits adultery. It's permissible for you to be divorced and remarry, and it's not sin. It was caused by sin, but the divorce itself wasn't sinful. Likewise, in the 1 Corinthians 7 text, it's permissibly divor- permissible to be divorced if an unbelieving spouse separates from the believer. If the unbelieving spouse decides they want out of the marriage, yep. that divorce is now permissible and the believer is no longer enslaved to that marriage. Okay, but the language there is the one that I'm particularly interested in. Mm-hmm. They're not bound. They're not enslaved to, right. in any way. They're not... So I, there's a... The point, the point being more positively stated, that you are free yep. to remarry. I, I get concerned. Mm-hmm. See, on the one hand, whenever we talk about divorce, there, there are a couple things that I get, well, several things that I get frightened by. One is the emails. I'm going to No, but uh, a couple things that I'm concerned about. On the one hand, divorce is rampant in the Christian church. And I've said this before on other occasions to lots of other people. I have never met anybody who's 
claims to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've never met one who says that, that the divorce they know about or that they're were involved in was somehow unjustified. Um, mm. That seems a little unrealistic to me because I've talked to lots of people. Okay, so if the Bible's kind of edge is that divorce is something you should avoid, and so many Christians are getting divorced, I I struggle to think that every one of them is. So my here's my my first fear is that we don't the church is actually abandoned or uh, stopped talking about this subject, warning people that hey this is a real pitfall and danger. Okay, and divorce has become far more acceptable among Christians today than it has in the past. Okay, so please hear that. On the other hand, on the other hand, my fear is that there are people who have legitimately divorced. Okay, and by yep. legitimately, they they are not bound uh, because their 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 spouse has abandoned them or has proven by their actions to not be a Christian, and thereby abandoned them. In some, in some circumstances, or has, has been guilty of sexual infidelity. And that person then, that Christian person then, feels guilty repeatedly for having divorced, because they read the same passages you and I read here. And I, what I'm saying is that I, I, I'm frightened that you're going to burden somebody with false guilt when they don't need to be guilty for, or feel guilty for what they've done. They need to be free. Because they fit the qualifications that something in the scriptures have. Can I say, I hope it's possible for me to say both those things at the same time. On the mm-hmm. one hand, divorce is something you should avoid at every cost. On the other hand, you know, if you've tried to avoid it at every cost, but here it is, you're not bound. So, Greg, I'm looking at you. We can fight about it. Yeah, I, I mean, if you've avoided it at every cost and yet it still happens, you're no longer bound at that language, I mean, it depends on the situation of what, because you could easily have someone say, well, I tried for a really long time and it just was never able to make it work. And so I feel like God has, has told me, I had a conversation with a person this weekend where they, they explained their situation to me and the language they used was God, God told me that I needed to divorce my spouse. Mm -mm. And when I did, I was, I was felt at peace about it. Yeah. Well, I, because you're, you're because paid. after a really long time of a lot of time and counseling and a lot of money spent on counseling and a lot of conversations about trying to find a way to make it work, it was evident that this was not going to happen. And someone needed to start the process of actually f- formalizing the separation so that we would no longer be legally bound to another as a spouse. Right. So feeling the conviction to be the kind of spouse who would weirdly enough care enough about your spouse to start the divorce process right yeah i will take your story and i will i will raise you a story do it uh there a, a christian uh woman is married to a man who is proving by his actions that he is not a christian Okay. And by that, I mean, he is uh, engaging in sexual infidelity and he is in large part abandoned the marriage. Okay. And by anyone's judgment, it's certainly, certainly by the church's judgment, it's something you got into your sermon in Matthew 18, like by anyone's judgment, judgment, the man is, is not showing signs of saving grace. Right. So this woman then, but, but he's smart because he's been mm-hmm. around the Christian church for a while. So he's smart. 
And he knows that he can still be living the way he wants to and still have this girl, you know, bound to him mm. all this time. He doesn't care, mm. but he's, she's bound to him all this time. And uh, as a result, she, and she feels trapped because she's like, well, I can't, I'm not supposed to initiate any kind of any of this. So I'm, what I'm saying is I think she's free. Well, in that case, she is because of okay, but that's, clear case that, of pornea. That's why I'm trying to I'm trying to point it out. Well, I, not just in a clear case of pornea. Let's say there's not pornea happening, but the guy has abandoned her. Mm-hmm. Then I'm going to say, look, mm-hmm. the he the, he is showing okay, and this is not a judgment that she's free to make on her own, mm-hmm. but he is showing by his actions, and he should be brought under some level of discipline from the local church to try to say, wait a minute, man, you're not just, okay, repent. Or you're demonstrating that you're not a Christian here, and if you if you don't repent of that, and you, f- from the persistent discipline that the church is trying to bring into here, you, you are now showing yourself to be somebody who is not a genuine believer, and right. now you fit the category of the rest. To the rest, I say, and what have you done? You've abandoned your spouse, and then the language here I'm saying is applying. Mm-hmm. You're not bound, mm-hmm. but I I don't want to soften that language that you're not bound. I like I. You're not bound, right? And you have you have freedom to terminate the marriage, but I don't hear you saying that because I think you're getting stuck with that last phrase. Yeah, freedom to terminate the marriage. Yeah. Why? I I I have a. It just seems easier, clearer to me that if it's the unbelieving spouse who is desiring for the marriage to be over that in that case, it's permissible that the marriage, the marriage is sorry. The divorce is permissible for the believer. And now they can be no longer enslaved. I have a hard time with Paul's strong language of, of believers should not be, uh, should not divorce. And then reading that and saying that the believer can be the one to start, the actual proceedings well, I, I of you, separating. So I think that that conclusion is going beyond the bounds of the text. Okay. I think that I think that what what it what it says is they're not bound. So yep. you're reading it in light of what's pre- pre- previously written. This is one of my challenges with this particular passage is mm. that what people want to do with this passage is they want to say, well, and then once I'm divorced, so so if I'm a Christian and two Christians get divorced, mm-hmm. you fit the category of uh to the married, verse 10, I give this command, not I, but the Lord, a wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband and a husband must not divorce his wife. Okay. So if you are a Christian, Christian marriage and, and you get divorced, there's some very clear instructions here. Yep. What he's saying is you got two yep. options. Yep. Option one is that you remain unmarried. Yep. Option two is that you reconcile. Okay, those those are the two options. But what people end up doing here is they'll say, well, yeah, but once I am no longer married, I enter the single category, and now I'm talked to about earlier in the passage, which saw later, yeah. yeah, earlier in the passage where it says, now to the unmarried and widows, I say, it's good for them to stay unmarried as I do, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. It's better to marry than burn with passion. Well, I'm burning with passion, and now that I fit this category of unmarried, but I'm saying, no, you don't. To the believer, believer. Right. Yes. You don't fit that category. Right. You fit the category of verse 10. Right. Agreed. Married, married. 
But this is what people tend to do with this passage. Yep. They want to, they want, they, listen, it's not actually that unclear, right. the text itself. Right. That if you're unmarried or you're a widow, meaning the spouse died or you are currently, you, mm-hmm. like, not just, no, that's not the right word. You're currently, you've not been married. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then this is an, this is what, this is what needs to be, you should, you should glory in the fact that you're not married. That's great. Yep. But if you burn with passion, you should get married. Yep. But if you're a Christian, Christian marriage, this is what happens and you get divorced is what happens. Then if you're in a Christian, non-Christian marriage, this is what it looks like to me. And so right. I, I don't, I don't want you to make the same mistake though. Yeah. Yeah. So the Matthew 18 model, I think is helpful in determining whether the spouse is a repentant believer or an unrepentant unbeliever, right? The, yeah. the Matthew 18 model is, I think, critical in the process. And I think where the confusion of, you know, the bridging the world's peace could come in is that the language of divorce and, and separation for us is different than in the text. And so for someone to, to separate and say, I'm done with the marriage in the original context doesn't need a whole pile of paperwork. You go to the, the post office to go get and sign and formal and get a lawyer and sign and all that kind of stuff. It was just, if you were done with the marriage, if, if your spouse was done with the marriage and they were an unbeliever, the believer was in a state of no longer being enslaved to that marriage. They were free. Whereas in our context, we use the words of separation and divorce differently. And so someone can be for all intents and purposes out of the marriage and yet paperwork hasn't been signed. And so we would say, well, paperwork the paperwork of divorce is a formality of the fact that your spouse has already abandoned you, but we're just lazy that they didn't want to get the paperwork. And so you as a Christian are the one who goes to the place and gets the paperwork. Mm-hmm. You're saying in that situation, it's fine because the intent of the unbelieving spouse was to abandon the marriage. I'm saying that the unbelieving spouse has abandoned the marriage. And yes. so in that case, and that for somebody to, regardless for, of who goes and right, picks up the paperwork. the paperwork, that the initiation of the divorce, but that's what you're, that that's what you're saying. See, the, my, the, 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 but the belief, the unbelieving spouse. Okay. If the unbelieving spouse is willing to live in harmony with yep. the believing spouse. Yep. Okay. And not commit sexual immorality. Yep. Right. That then I agree with you, but if that's not if the, if they're in some usually the people who are getting frustrated with this entire discussion is they're in situations where they have been in some way abandoned by their spouse. Okay, yeah. so we could talk. By the way, this is one of the big debates here: is that it is is physical abuse an abandonment? See, I think that somebody who is unrepentantly abusing anybody is a sign that you're not a Christian. Yeah. Okay. That's clear. So this fits you into this category now and you, you persist in your unrepentance. Okay. Then, and I'm trying to figure out how you're not abandoning your marriage and you're, you're abandoning your spouse through, through abuse. And a passage that I didn't bring up in the sermon, but I think is actually helpful. It's, it's Paul wrote it in first Timothy verse eight. He's talking in the context of taking care of your family members Verse 80 says, if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. So I th- I think it's fair. You can critique me on this if you think it's a misuse of it. But I mean, I think it's fair if someone has decided to say, I'm still a believer, but I'm going to totally, you know, leave my wife behind. I'm going to get my own apartment. I'm going to 
or to keep in the language of the abuse thing. How about he beats her? Right. That that would be not taking care of I would think your so. relatives. Right. And so in that case, that person by their actions is demonstrating that they are not a believer. Mm-hmm. And they're showing in their actions that they're so, they're actually worse than. So an here's unbeliever. here's my push then. Yeah, I think he she in our illustration here yep. she is free. I don't think she's bound. That's right. the negative statement because the act the unrepentant. I don't think she's bound. Habitual action. By the way, this is not a decision that she alone gets to make yep. on a Tuesday afternoon. This is a decision that she. This is a, that's what church discipline exists Matthew, for. Is, Matthew eighteen is so that you can actually. You can actually help. And we're not just trying to determine this for your marriage. We want to see your spouse come to faith in Jesus and ref- and be reformed, mm-hmm. right? That's the big win, okay? Right. But say he doesn't, then I think I think she. she I, my fear is that she's going to go away. And in five years, I always feel like, well, you know, I sinned against God because I because I I initiated a divorce, and I'm like, no, you didn't, right? I mean, I've had conversations with people like this before, and I get very concerned that they get caught under this massive amount of guilt. So, but here, again, I'm going to reiterate my two points, which is earlier, look, divorce is way too rampant in the Christian church, and there are lots of Christians who are getting divorced for no, for no legitimate reason. Mm. On the flip side, there are lots of people who claim themselves to be Christians who actually aren't and are, are, are treating their spouses in the most heinous way and basically abandoning their spouses and in ridiculous ways. Mm. And but, but because they're calling themselves Christian, they, they yeah. create this thing. So we're not. So what we got is a bunch of people who feel really, really guilty about their divorce and other people who ought to feel guilty about their divorce and aren't. Mm. And so it's difficult to say both things. Yep. At the same time. Yep. Right. And it's also difficult because, uh, like I said earlier, we, in our context, have legal paperwork that has to be done that we will, uh, it's not uncommon to hear someone say, oh, well, we've been separated for years, but we haven't gotten a divorce yet because we know we're not supposed to divorce. And so we haven't signed any paperwork yet, but we've been, di- we've been separated for years. And my point is, well, there's actually not that clear of a distinction in the scriptures about separation and divorce. And so for the intent and purpose of your separation, you're acting as though you are divorced. It's just BC doesn't know it. So we should give a disclaimer in all this, right? So this is a dialogue that we're having. You can hear even in Greg and I, uh, I hope, I hope it's iron sharpening against iron. Hmm. I don't know, man, maybe it's tofu sharpening against tofu, (laughs) right? Can tofu sharpen itself? Iron here. But dude, you said my point is that you can hear even in the dialogue here, nuances and 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 trying to figure out how we understand the passages of scripture and things it doesn't mean that oh nobody knows do what i want that's that's not the case but we want you to know that uh this is a discuss this is a discussion that continues to happen and so some people some people uh he- hear this sort of thing and they freak they get very upset about it and you don't need to get upset about it. This is where we're trying to tell you what we think the scriptures hold. If you think that you can look at the passages of scripture mm-hmm. and you can explain them in a way that is, has more merit than what we're doing. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. And I'm, I will be the first one to recant and change my mind on many of these things. My, my experience has been over the last number of years, as I've studied this and met with people, and like like this is a subject that we end up doing a lot of research. Greg spent a lot of time, not just on this sermon, but has read before on this. Mm-hmm. So, 
we pastors are trying to make sense of what the scriptures say and trying to communicate it again in a context where anytime you mention divorce, man, people just, one of the things you guys, people are mentioning today around the church is, man, it was quiet in the services this weekend. Yeah. And, you know, well, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, this is one of those subjects you don't need to illustrate that much because people are there with you mm-hmm. and, and following along with it. And, um, yeah. Yeah. So it's a bit of a challenge. We, we hope the dialogue that we have even here is, and the fact that we're talking about it at church is helpful to you and, and, and prompts you. Mm. I'm going to recommend, I'm, I don't know if you recommended this weekend. Jay Adams book is quite good mm-hmm. on this. This is, I mean, he's the one who's written extensively on first Corinthians chapter seven. I think he's yeah. done a great job at it. I can't yeah. remember what is the name divorce, of divorce, uh, marriage, divorce and remarriage in the Bible. Yeah. There are some others, a guy named David Instone Brewer wrote a book and the title I cannot totally remember, but you can Google his name, David Instone Brewer. I don't hold his viewpoint on it. Uh, He believes in a more liberal reading of, when I liberal, I meaning like more divorce in Mm -hmm. lots of settings because he's trying to interact with some of the historical background in some of this. Uh, John Piper Mm -hmm. has written on this. John Piper believes that that in, uh, in what they call the betrothal view, of this, so he's, his argument is, well, look, uh, in the first century, you people considered you married when you were uh, when you were just engaged. So we use that word language of engagement, and they considered you married. So all the places in the scripture that talk about, so so he's well, not all the places. He's actually saying that that Matthew passage that has that exception clause is actually talking about getting out of the betrothal, the engagement. But the moment that you get married, that's it. That's it. Meaning that uh, if you want to get if you get divorced, uh, either reconcile or remain unmarried. In fact, he would argue that the reason that Paul doesn't cite the exception clause is because the exception clause in Matthew is only describing uh, is only in Matthew because of uh, what Matthew says about Mary and Joseph early on, and Matthew wants to make it clear that Mary and Joseph weren't that Joseph wouldn't have been sinning had he left Mary at that point. Okay. Right. It's a bit of a interesting. So my point is, all I'm saying is, there's a big range yep. of viewpoint yep. on this, and every time we talk about it, I want to say, look, it's it's uh, it's a it's a it's a bit of a dicey and challenging one, but at the same time, it's really worth talking about and thinking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And something also that I think is worth repeating is people will assume, I think, because Northview holds some conservative views on things that we that we would say, you know, there's no good reason to leave a spouse. And Jeff, you already touched on it. The idea of abuse, like, like we don't, we don't tolerate abuse at Northview. We don't think abuse is something you need to sit and no, live under in order. You need to get, you, you get yourself to safety immediately. Right. right. Yeah. And we can so, deal with all the relational difficulties and stuff, but just physical and emotional safety yeah. is the first protocol. Yeah. And the other part that I said, people made fun of me this week for showing it too many times on the screen, but really our care pastors are, this is a major reason why they're here is to help people process their marital and relational issues and to process some of these abuse types issues and and to help be a a front line for a lot of these things. So if you are in a situation where you're, you're struggling in your marriage or you're contemplating what, what's going on in your marriage, you can uh, email the care pastors care at northview.org and they will be in touch with you soon. Thank you, Jeff and Greg, for that engaging dialogue. Uh, Hopefully there was some helpful things that you guys have gleaned from that, our listeners. We are going to wrap it up there, and we thank you for listening again this week. Look forward to having you with us again next week. Remember, 
the truth is out there. Oh, 